0: Jeremiah 13 and Lord willing time willing we will do part of 14 sheets are available in the back there if you did not get that continuing our study here through the book of Jeremiah now if you remember correctly through the first I think it was roughly um about 10 chapters or so it was more of just setting the scene of what was going on and I'm not trying to oversimplify it Israel was doing things they shouldn't have been doing. They were going to be judged by Babylon. That's what the first few chapters are. Once we got into chapter 10, we start getting into more of a personal narrative here of Jeremiah. And we really got into that last week with verses, excuse me, chapters 11 and 12, where we got into Jeremiah as a person and the struggles he was facing. Just remember, as we go through Jeremiah here, this is a man that had a ministry for over 40 years. And as far as we can tell, he did not have a single convert. Not a single person listened to him. He struggled more than probably any other prophet. And there was times he wanted to give up. There was times he wanted to quit. But he remained faithful to the Lord. And we can really relate to him and the struggles we have in life. We all have moments where we feel like no one's listening. No one's paying attention. God, where are you? And we just want to quit. Jeremiah can relate to that. So as we go through this tonight, we're going to look at him as a man. But also look at the message that the Lord gave them. Now, I have to tell you this before we read what we're going to read here tonight. This is one of the most interesting stories I say in Jeremiah and possibly even in the Bible. So I'm going to give you the overview of what it is and then we'll read it. As you remember, if you've ever seen any type of movie or show, the Old Testament wardrobe that they wore was in lots of different layers. Well, there was a layer that was the innermost layer, if you will. And so this innermost layer is referred to in many different translations as maybe a loincloth, and my new King James, it calls it a sash, etc. What happens tonight is God tells Jeremiah to go get one of these sashes, these loincloths. He tells him to wear it for a while. So he wears it for a while. And then he says, go take this off now and go hide it in a rock. And then come back and get it and put it back on. So as we're reading this tonight and you're saying, is that really what God is telling him to do? Yes, that's really what God is telling him to do. We will get to the symbolism of what it means and represents. But a lot of times when we go through Jeremiah 13, people start reading it and saying, I must not be understanding it. Because it sounds like God is telling Jeremiah to put underwear on, wear it for a while, go hide it in a rock and put it back on. Yeah, that's actually exactly what he's telling him to do. So if anybody asks what you learned at church on Wednesday night, that's what you learned. So, Jeremiah 13, verse 1, "...Thus says the Lord said to me, Go and get yourself a linen sash." Put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. Don't clean it here. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time, saying, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, arise, go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. Now it came to pass after many days that the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the sash, which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and took the sash from the place where I had hidden it. And there was the sash, ruined. It was profitable for nothing. So it's exactly like we said. Take this clothing, put it on, wear it. How long did he wear it for? We don't know, but wear it for a while. Then go to the Euphrates and hide it. Now you have to understand, the Euphrates is over in Babylon. So this is roughly about a 250-mile trip for Jeremiah. And this is not a 250-mile trip of just, hey, I'm going to knock this down in a day. Now, some people have a hard time believing this, and so they try to make it more symbolic. And I've even read one commentator who said, well, the wording is not really good. It's really not the Euphrates. It's really just an area to the north of Jerusalem. I don't know for sure where it was at. If it says Euphrates and God said to go over there and do it, to me it makes sense. Euphrates would represent Babylon. Babylon, the one is that's going to come attack them in a few decades. So he goes, he does this. God says, come back, put it on. The whole point is verse 7. It was the sash, ruined. It was profitable for nothing. There's two symbolisms with this sash. The first one is it represents Israel. It represents Israel. Israel is dirty. It's disgusting. It's ruined. It's worthless. That's the first point. The second point, the symbolism, is closeness to God. Look at the verse 11 that we put. For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me. Just as your clothes cling to your body, God is trying to use this sash as an example, saying Israel is supposed to cling to me. So this sash represents Israel. The closeness, the intimacy that they were supposed to have with God, but yet the dirtiness that they have become and how they become absolutely ruined. That's what that sash represents. Now a little bit more here on this as we go. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts, walk after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be just like this sash, which is profitable for nothing. That verse 10 is key. When you are somebody that's supposed to be close to the Lord, but you do exactly what verse 10 says, you follow your own heart rather than the things of God, guess what's going to happen in verse 10? You become useful for nothing. Boy, don't you see people doing that? Verse 10. Look at this one more time. They refuse to hear the word of the Lord. This is one of the simplest points in all Christianity. If you follow God's word, things go better. If you don't follow God's word... You get in trouble. That's just a simple point that God says. What happened in verse 10? They didn't hear the words of the Lord. Verse 10, they followed the dictates of their heart. Now, every now and then, someone will come up to me, and they'll say something to the fact of, you know, Pastor James, boy, I know your heart, and I know in your heart that you really, and it's like, wait a second, you really don't want to know my heart. You know, the heart is pretty evil, dark place Sometimes. And what happens is, we as Christians actually spend a good chunk of our life trying not to follow what our heart wants to do. Our heart wants to harbor unforgiveness. Our heart wants to lust. Our heart wants to be angry. Our heart wants to commit sin sometimes. That's the heart. That's why this whole process of being a Christian is getting the junk out of my heart and having a heart more like Jesus. So what happens here in verse 10, they got a double whammy going on. They're refusing to listen to God's word, and they're following their own heart. Eventually, verse 10, they're walking after other gods to serve them and worship them, and they become like this filthy piece of clothing that was worn by Jeremiah, made a 250-mile trip in it, Hit under a rock in the elements for we don't know how long, then put back on. Now, this is something where God is trying to make a pretty big visual here. That is your spiritual life when you refuse to obey the Lord, when you follow your own dictates of your heart, you become this dirty piece of clothing that's as useful for nothing. That's Israel. So that's the symbolism of the sash, and we're going to build on that here tonight. But before we move on with that, we've got to get to a couple other points. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about that? Ryan? Right, and that's why, and I think Ron brings up a good point, that's why I think he probably literally went to Babylon, because this is a symbolism of Israel going to Babylon, this dirty, disgusting nation, being beaded, battered, and torn, but yet coming back, coming back. And so I think there probably is, I think he probably went to the river Euphrates and probably really did this, because it is, it's a great symbolism of what happens to Babylon here, I should say what happens to Israel when Babylon comes and takes them over. Anybody else got any quick questions, comments about this? Rose. I right there. Yeah, and, and that's an absolute good point, too, is that sometimes these people were more comfortable in their sin and their flesh. See, this is the thing. We always make this assumption that, you know, people, you go up and try to witness to somebody, and you say, you know what? You don't know Jesus. I'm going to fill that void you have in their, your life. I've met some non-believers that don't have a void in their life. Their health's good. Their marriage is good. Their kids are good. Their house is good. Their job is good. They really don't have a void, so what happens is you need to do the witnessing tool of, you know what, you're still a sinner destined for hell, and God loves you and I love you. But sometimes people don't have voids in their life. Now, eventually, I firmly believe those people will run into a void in their life because the things of the flesh are not able to keep them happy. But all of you here, myself included, we've all had times where we were not walking according to the Lord. And to be quite honest, we didn't feel that horribly empty at the moment. Now, it built up over time. But sometimes there were moments of, you know what, Verse 10. I like walking after the flesh. Sometimes it felt good to sin. I remember one time having a conversation with Dawn because I made a comment one time in a message where I said, The problem with sin is if sin wasn't fun, it wouldn't be such a temptation. And she goes, You can't say that. Well, I said, It says in Hebrews, Moses talks about the pleasures of sin, but it's a temporary momentary pleasure that brings no joy for all of eternity. And in fact, it leaves you empty in this world. If you don't believe me, go read Solomon and Ecclesiastes. But the problem is in verse 10, there are some people that like to follow that flesh for a while. Come on, if you've ever been upset about something and you've been angry about something, sometimes it feels good to be angry. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it feels good to hold that grudge. Sometimes it feels good to be a little bitter. Sometimes it feels good to have those anger fantasies in your head of, well, I'm going to say this when they do this. And it's a temporary moment that feels good for a while, followed by a lot of regret and shame and sin. Israel here was doing okay. Problem is, God knew what was coming, and they were going to be judged. They were going to be defeated. And there were this ugly, dirty sash that needed the Lord. Which takes us that verse I forgot to share there in your sheets, that Romans 6.21. It's a great verse there. What fruit did you have then in those things which are now ashamed For the end of those things is death. See, if we walk according to the flesh for a while, eventually there's this emptiness that comes out of it. What fruit comes out of it? Nothing. It's just not worthwhile. And the truth of the matter is if you know somebody in the verse 10 area right now, you can see their life just falling apart in front of your eyes. Just this, this loss of relationship with the Lord leading to this emptiness. So that's the symbolism of it. Now, there's the practical side of this. And, and this is a pretty simple point. Look at your sheets here. Look at just Jeremiah's obedience. I did, so I got a sash according to the word of the Lord, verse 2. Verse 5, so I went. Verse 7, then I went to the Euphrates and dug. Now, you may look over those points. Jeremiah did all this. Put yourself in Jeremiah's position for one second. God appears to you, and you're like, wow, okay, here's Jehovah. He's got something for me to say. And his words to me is, go get a new pair of underwear. Okay, wear them. Okay, now walk all the way to Babylon and hide them in a rock. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd have a moment here of, okay, Lord, are you sure about this? There's some pretty gross rocks just over there. Can't I just do those rocks there? And now, okay, fine, I hid them. I did whatever you said. Now go back and put it on again. See, it's amazing when you look at some of these Old Testament prophets, what they went through. Really, Jeremiah literally, I believe, did this. He put the clothing on, walked to Babylon, hid it under a rock, walked back, put it on, and used it as a symbolism. When you look at what God asked Jeremiah to do, I am willing to bet many of us here tonight, the next thing God asks you to do will pale in comparison to what Jeremiah did. So when the Lord says to you, just quietly in your heart, Hey, your wife made a comment, just let it go. Let it go? I can't let it go. Jeremiah just walked 500 miles round trip to wear a dirty pair of underwear. I mean, let it go. The next time that guy at work says something, let it go. The next time the Lord says, Why don't you shut the TV off for a little bit and read? Read. You know how long of a day it is today. I need to. Look at what Jeremiah did. He just simply obeyed. Practical obedience to what the Lord said. Boy, we can learn a lot from that. We can learn an absolute lot from Jeremiah of just listening. To what God has to say, to be quite honest, even when it doesn't make any sense. So, next thing here though. So, Jeremiah practically obeyed. The result of this, the result of where Israel is at. Jump ahead to chapter 14, please. We're not going to do all of chapter 14. and We're actually going to jump back into 13 here for a second. Verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the droughts. Judah mourns and her gates languish. They mourn for the land. They cry, "Of Jerusalem has gone up." Their nobles have sent their lads for water. They went to the cisterns and found no water. They returned with their vessels empty. They were ashamed and confounded, and covered their heads because the ground is parched, for there was no rain in the land. The plowmen were ashamed. They covered their heads. Yes, the deer also gave birth in the field and left because there was no grass. And the wild donkeys stood in the desolate heights. They sniffed at the wind like jackals. Their eyes filled because there was no grass. Now this is a drought. Now, we had a little bit of a drought, obviously, last year. I remember as a kid, we had that drought in 88. And, but I'm willing to bet that none of you last year or none of you in 1988 ever went and could not literally find any water to drink. I doubt that any of you went that far in that sense. We, have, we don't experience this type of physical drought. Now, there was a reason why this was happening. There's a reason here. Jump, if you will, to Deuteronomy real quick. Deuteronomy 28. If you remember correctly, I believe it was last week, we talked about the simple fact here of God says, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, you'll be cursed. And it's a real simple, straightforward point. So jump back, if you will, to Deuteronomy. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But before you get to Deuteronomy chapter 28, we just have to do a little bit of a background here. God, when he was doing these blessings and these curses, what he did is he took the nation of Israel and he put them between two mountains. And what happened is he had one guy get up on one mountain to do all the blessings, and he had the other guy get up on the mountain to do all the curses. Now, if you study these mountains out, one mountain with the way it faces in its topography, it's green. The other mountain with the way it faces in its topography is dead. Well, you know what the Lord did. All the blessings were read from the green mountain. All the curses were read from the dead, dying mountain. So what you have here in chapter 28 is 14 verses of blessings. Simple, simple. You just obey what God says and you'll be blessed. Look at verse one of Deuteronomy twenty-eight. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commands, which I command you toward, to excuse me today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. You'll be blessed. A lot of times when people come in and they want to sit down and do some marriage counseling, once we get through the initial just scratch the surface of what's going on, I usually ask them, I ask the wife, you know, are, are you doing what the Bible says? I mean, are, are you loving and honoring and respecting and submitting unto your husband? Usually the answer is no. I ask the guy, okay, are you loving your wife? as Christ loved the church? you being the godly leader of the house? Usually the guy's response is no, I could do better. And I usually tell them, here's my profound statement. Guy, if you do what the Lord says to do, you'll be blessed. And gal, if you do what the Lord says to do, you'll be blessed. And usually there's somebody that says, well, it's not that easy. And I usually say, well, you know what? Actually, it kind of is. If you do what the Bible says, it just works. God's making it abundantly clear here in verses 1 and 2. If you listen to me and obey, you will be blessed. So there's 14 verses of blessing. Check out the rest of chapter 28. From verse 15 through the end of chapter 28, about to the 60-some verses, there's a lot of curses. There's a lot of curses. That shows me what? In Christianity, it is easier to fall off the path than it is to stay on the path sometime. Jesus said, abundantly clear, the path is narrow. Few will find it. If you look at the parable of the sower and the seed, and I'm not saying Jesus was trying to be statistically correct, but in the parable of the sower and the seed, only 25% of the people that heard the gospel message got it. And of the 25% that actually heard the gospel message and got it, only one-third of them got it to the full completeness of what God wanted. Which, simple statistics, means only about 8% of the world really live up to the full thing that God has in store for them. There's a lot of people falling off the path. There's a lot of people stumbling and following here. And this should be no shock, because look at our verse, Deuteronomy 28. Let's look here at verse um, 24. What's one of the curses? The Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust from the heaven. It shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now that curse was given thousands of years before everything is happening here in Jeremiah. The point being is this. When things in our life start going wrong because of choices we make, we shouldn't be shocked by that. Now there's Job moments And there's moments of when you're doing everything right and bad things still happen. That's another teaching for another day. But a lot of times in life when things start going downhill, generally speaking, it's God's way of saying, I love you enough to get your attention. See, you you could look here in Jeremiah 14 and you can say, well, if God loved them, he'd give them rain. That's one way to look at it. The way God looks at it is, I love you enough to take away the rain to get your attention. Now think about that. For you that have kids at home, you can pair it one of two ways. You can give your kid everything they want, whenever they want, however they want, because that's how much you love them. Or you can love them enough to say no to them because you know that's going to cause problems later on in life. Now, I hope every one of us here would agree with the second one. True love says I'm willing to say no when I need to say no. God and love is letting them go through a drought to get their attention. Remember, we make this point all the time. Whenever you see judgment, there's always grace. God is trying to get their attention. He's stripping them of their water to get their attention, which is actually a physical thing, but it's also a spiritual example. Israel's dried up. They are spiritually dry. They're they're falling apart. What's Jeremiah's heart? Jump back to chapter 13. Look at Jeremiah's heart for Israel. If you will not hear it, My soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Look at Jeremiah's heart. Real quick, Christians. When you see somebody making choices they shouldn't make and you see somebody going backwards instead of forwards in their walk with Christ, do you weep for them? Or do you do the classic, well, they deserve it. This is what they asked for. See, i got to be honest with you. I sometimes go to the second one. As we mentioned Sunday with the story of the Good Samaritan, hey, that's their bed, lying. That's choices they made. Let them suffer the consequences. Tough love. See, you look at Jeremiah, his heart completely broke. And I think as believers, we need to remember Jeremiah thirteen seventeen that when I see somebody falling spiritually, Lord, help me to weep for them. Help me to be bitter for them because I love them so much. It hurts me to see them hurt boy, if I was in Jeremiah's position, well, if I was in Jeremiah's position, I would have told the Lord I'm not going to Babylon to do the underwear thing. I'll tell you that right now. I'm not doing that. If I was in Jeremiah's position and I am feeling here like I should be weeping for them, I'd probably say, God, seriously, man. Seriously, you want me to weep for these people? You want me my heart to be broken for these people? This is what they asked for. See, I tell you, of all the people in the Bible that I can relate to the most, it's probably Jonah. Jonah was the greatest Missionary that ever lived. The greatest missionary that ever lived. And Jonah didn't even want to see Nineveh get saved. In fact, when Nineveh got saved, Jonah threw a little hissy fit, sat outside the city. But he's the greatest evangelism, evangelist that's ever lived. Jeremiah, who probably cared more for Israel than any other person that ever lived, not a single person listened to him. See, that is, that is ministry. Sometimes things that are successful... There's a lot of things under the heart that aren't right with God. And then you got somebody like Jeremiah, whose heart's right with God, and it's just not clicking. We're just called to be faithful to what God has called us to do and to be a light and a witness for him. Jeremiah wept for Israel, even though they had chosen to reject God completely. Because Jeremiah's heart cared for his people. Now, we'll build on chapter 14 next week, because it kind of gets into, actually, more things here. Because as Jeremiah is weeping for Israel... God basically shows up in chapter 14 and says, Jeremiah, quit crying for him. This is, this is something they've asked for, and we'll get into that next week. Now, I've got something I want to close with here real quick, but does anybody have any quick questions, comments about the first part with the sash, or just the second part here, the result of Israel rejecting the Lord, is the spiritual drought and physical drought they were going through. All right, that's what I want to close with. Go to Psalm 1, please. Psalm 1. I don't know about you, but there's been many times in my Christian walk with the Lord, there's been times in my marriage, there's been times in my ministry where I just feel completely dry. I just feel like, Lord, I'm praying and you're not hearing. Lord, I'm, I'm trying this, there's no fruit. I'm reading and I'm not getting anything out of it. And I just feel this dry emptiness of what's going on. And I think, to be quite honest, it happens to us a lot more than what we want to readily admit. We go through droughts spiritually. We go through droughts physically. But those spiritual droughts are tough. Those are tough. Psalm 1 reminds us of what we're supposed to do in a spiritual drought. If you're in a spiritual drought right now where you just feel like there's this, a dryness in your walk and relationship in the Lord, there's a dryness in your marriage, there's a dryness in your ministry, and you're like, Lord, there's got to be more. Where is the fruit Look at Psalm 1. Six verses, but they're powerful. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Stop there real quick. First step to look at is, if you're thinking you're spiritually dry, is are you doing something you shouldn't be doing? Is there an unconfessed sin in your life? Is there something in your life that you just know is wrong? Look at the progression in verse 1. We go from walking to standing to sitting. Okay, When you're walking through muck, you're at least trying to get out of it. Well, when you're standing in the muck, you're saying, well, there's no reason to do it. And then when you finally sit in the muck, oh, my goodness, and you see it in other people. You see them all of a sudden get off the path of God, and now they're walking in sin. Okay, get out of it. Well, now they're standing in sin, and eventually they're just flat out sitting in sin. Lord says, beware of that. Verse 2, what are we supposed to be doing? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And I know you guys know this, but we're going to keep hitting this again and again and again until Jesus returns. The main part of your life to have growth in Christ is going to be you and your time alone in the Lord with the Word. Look at verse 2. That if you either believe this or you don't, you delight in the law of the Lord, you meditate day and night, and guess what? That gives you energy. That gives you strength. I know for me in my life, you heard me say this? If I spend time in the Word, my day goes better. If I do devotions with the boys before I leave in the morning... Everything seems to go better. If I take time to spend time with dawn in the Word, things just seem to go better. I'm not saying that we don't have problems, but we handle the difficulties better when we're grounded in the Word. Verse 3, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. See, we're not in a drought. We're planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Sometimes I think spiritually we feel like we're just withering. When you feel like you're drying up and withering in life, check. Where are you planted? If you're planted in the word by the rivers of life, you'll be blessed. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so. They're like the, the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Boy, I tell you, plant yourself in the word, plant yourself in the Lord, and you will have fruit. And God will give you strength. Once again, I want to make sure this point comes across clearly. When I say things go better, that doesn't mean you're saved from trials and tribulations. It means that you handle them better in the Lord. Because you're grounded in what the Lord has to say. Jeremiah was grounded. Israel was in the drought. Boy, it's a difficult spot to be. So we'll build on this next week on Jeremiah's response, but you see here tonight, Jeremiah practical obedience to the Lord even when it doesn't make sense, and you see the simple point that comes up: if you obey, things go better; if you disobey, <coughs> things don't. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we close up, Ryan? After all the time, you, that girdle you know what? Seriously, you, you, I, you know what? You bring up a very practical point. He probably was very blessed when God says you don't have to wear it anymore. So, there you go. There was a blessing and obedience there. Anybody else have anything? Ron. Do you feel there's any correlation between the government and, well, not just the government, but like taking the prayer out of school and just seems like we're going more towards an ungodly nation instead of being built on a godly nation? Yeah. Do you think it has any correlation with all the catastrophes we've had I just want to first off say thank you for asking the most loaded question you could possibly ask at 8 o'clock when we're trying to finish up, Ron. I just want to let you know I appreciate that. Um, I, I think it's a very simple correlation, and I'm not trying to get political here, and I'm not trying to you know, say things that I don't know are true or not. But it's a very simple point. The Bible makes it clear when a nation takes its eyes off the Lord, it falls apart. I mean, it's just, it's just a simple correlating point. And when you look at the nation, and we, and we say this, I think, almost every service, is we, we are so blessed to meet here freely. We're so blessed to meet here openly, you know, without harm or threat. from the God. I mean, we are blessed to do that. But at the same time, too, as a nation, and, and I know people like to talk about America being a godly nation, the truth of the matter, at this point in time, America is not acting like a godly nation. And when America does not act like a godly nation, God has given us certain responsibilities. God has given us certain privileges. And with those responsibilities and privileges, the Lord is asking more out of us. That's a biblical concept. To whom much is given... Much is required. Much has been given to America over these last couple hundred years. And with that responsibility that has been given to us, God has required more out of us to be a light and a witness. The truth of the matter is we are failing in our responsibilities to the Lord. We're failing in our responsibilities and obedience to God. So to answer your question, Ron, when you fail in your responsibilities and obedience to the Lord, you can't expect the Lord to bless something He's not in. You just can't. And so as a nation, when we take our eyes off the Lord... We can't expect necessarily the blessings to be there because as a nation, we're not seeking Him. We're just not. So to answer your question, Ron, when you don't seek the Lord as a nation, it doesn't mean there's not a remnant, but as a nation, when you're not seeking Him, it's tough. You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, don't you think there's going to be a revival here in the end time? Don't you think there's going to be a chance? And and people don't like to hear this, but if you really study out Scripture, there's not a revival in the end times, there's a remnant in the end times. The Bible makes it pretty clear in First Timothy 3 and other places, it, it, there's not a revival. It actually, everything is stripped away where there's really just this tiny remnant left. So if you want to focus on an R word, it's not necessarily revival. It's remnant, according to the Bible. Now, I'm not saying you give up. I'm not saying you don't take a stand on issues. And I'm not saying you don't keep trying to stand up for godly principles. Don't ever hear that. But also the truth of the matter is our purpose... For being here is to see souls get saved. That is our purpose. And we want to make sure that the primary purpose that we're doing in life is seeing souls get saved in Jesus Christ because we want that remnant to be as powerful and strong as possible to be a light and a witness as we go into end times. I tell you, if you really want to change the world, if you really want to change the nation, have more people get saved. That's what's really going to change the world and nation. So thanks for that loaded question, Ron. I really appreciate that too. So, anybody have any final questions, comments here before I close up? Rose? Yeah, so we, we, just stay strong. we do, and that's the key word there. We stay strong. Dan, Dan, Daniel was a godly man in a very ungodly nation. I mean, even Jeremiah is a very godly man in a very ungodly nation. And what is Jeremiah doing? He just keeps preaching the truth. He just keeps preaching the truth. Ezekiel. We can go through all these Old Testament prophets. They were godly men in an ungodly situation, and they just kept preaching the truth. And that's what we got to keep doing. That's our focus. You know, and I think it's really easy sometimes as Christians to get our focus off eternity. I tell you, we can get wound up about a lot of things that have nothing to do with eternity, where really what it comes down to are your co workers, your friends, your family, your neighbors, are they saved or not saved? That's what matters, and that's the focus we need to keep. Um, And we got to go from that perspective there. All righty. Let's go ahead and close with the word of prayer. Heavenly Fathers, who's come to you. Lord, if there's somebody here tonight that's, that's in that drought, Lord, show them the strength that you give. Show them the refreshing that you give through your word and just being with you, Lord. And, and as if they're doing that and it's still dry, just encourage them, just uplift them. Lord, if we know somebody that's going down that path, following the dictates of their heart, we pray that you would speak peace to their heart, speak wisdom, speak just to their heart, just a change, just that personal revival in them. And Lord, for us, as just a godly remnant, help us to take a stand, to never back down, and to always proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ as ambassadors for you, Lord. We represent the nation of heaven, and help us to represent you in all that we say, and all that we do, in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week, and God bless. Don't forget, we need you to sign up for Heart to Heart. if you-